Welcome back to Here and There, the podcast of the Germanic American Institute. This is Günther and Audra hosting. This is the very first episode of 2022, so we certainly hope that you had a fantastic holiday season and a great start to this very new year. This is the podcast of the Germanic American Institute. Welcome. Welcome. Where Germanic-speaking European countries, Germany, Deutschland, Deutschland. Austria, Switzerland. Blend with the Midwestern United States. Hello. We are here and there, and we invite you to come along on the journey. And with today's episode, we welcome a guest, Dr. Kirsten Christensen. Dr. Christensen has a 30-year history in higher education and until summer of 2021 taught as German professor at Pacific Lutheran University in Tacoma, Washington. At PLU, she was also a founding member and prior director of the Holocaust and Genocide Studies program. Dr. Christensen's academic background is in language acquisition at Brigham Young University, finishing with her PhD in German studies at the University of Texas in beautiful Austin. Also, her dissertation research led Dr. Christensen to the University of Cologne and the University of Antwerp. Since July of 2021, Dr. Christensen is the executive director of the Twin Cities German Immersion School, or TCGIS, as we will refer to it throughout this episode. With that, Dr. Christensen, welcome to Here and There. Thank you. And... Since you hail from Tacoma, Washington, one of the leading questions that I have, uh, also not being from here, is particularly thinking about Washington, coastal area, fresh seafood. What were the first experiences when you actually got to St. Paul? I'm vegetarian, so the seafood was not, I don't care about that. <laughs> Fair um, enough. Yeah. Um, first of all, the job was my the draw here, mm-hmm. um, and I have... I do have a couple of friends in Minnesota, so I had been here before, and I'd been here at lovely times of year. I've never been here in the winter, um, so I had a picture already of how beautiful Minnesota was and the many lakes, um, so it was something I could I could picture. Um, within a couple of weeks of my move here, uh, there was this phenomenon called National Night Out. I don't know if you all know what that is, but it's a neighborhood block party, basically, that happens yes. across the country. And my next door neighbor has been organizing that in my neighborhood for 20 years. So I got to know some of my neighbors right away. And I had people that I'd never met offering to mow my lawn, shovel my snow, <laughs> do all kinds of things. Just so I was introduced to Minnesota, the, the real Minnesota nice. Um, not not the, I think there's a, a darker side of Minnesota nice, I understand. <laughs> but I, I saw the real Minnesota nice within just a few days of my arrival. And that was a really warm Warm welcome. So the real Minnesota nice, and it's interesting because it's the first time I hear somebody say darker side of Minnesota nice. Can you, can you compare and contrast? Well, I think that sometimes when people say Minnesota nice, they mean a little bit passive aggressive. They mean um, nice on the surface. And, you know, um, I, I've experienced that before where someone is being nice on the surface, but you can tell that they're upset underneath but they just don't lose their cool like they might in some other cultures so anyway I haven't been here long enough to know for sure but Audra's shaking her head so maybe I'm onto something there 
Yep, absolutely. That was <laughs> completely correct. Yeah, <laughs> just a weird little Minnesota culture thing. It's, I mean, also from my perspective, as truly being the foreigner in this recording, in this room, so to speak, in the, in the Zoom room, I 100% agree. And well, for, for what it's worth, I've only experienced, with, with, with one exception that I can think of, I've only experienced genuine kindness and genuine niceness. So, But that's also, yeah, it's, I have not yet really met the dark side of Minnesota nice. <laughs> so perhaps we're really good in moderating how we actually appear and then yeah. keep up with it. But uh, also, since you spent about 30 years in post-secondary, beyond the career opportunity, what's, what actually prompted the switch from higher ed, from university to a public K-8 charter school? Because that is, I would presume, quite a switch. It's quite a switch. Um, I had uh, done, besides teaching, which I've done for 34 years at a variety of institutions, I'd been at PLU for 17 years and at a variety of institutions uh, prior to that. I had also been in administration directing the Holocaust and Genocide Studies Program. Uh, I'd been on some uh, various uh, committees, faculty committees. I'd served on the board of the Modern Language Association, which is uh, the largest uh, professional organization in the humanities. And so all of those experiences had um, kind of had me thinking for some time about um, related professional opportunities. And when I, I, I wasn't thinking about the K to eight world, honestly, I was, I had looked at opportunities in um, higher ed administration. And then I happened across this job ad and initially dismissed it because of the distance from my home. Um, and I, you know, I've lived in Tacoma for 17 years. My kids are grown, but live in the area. All my friends are there. I had a beautiful home there. Um, but the more, it was one of those things, you know, sometimes you open a door and the door just swings wider and wider open and you're just beckoned to keep walking. And that was definitely the case um, with this job. The more I explored it, the more it made sense for me. Um, I really feel Ooh. like I've won the lottery uh, in many ways professionally. Um, I get to continue uh, in a broad way. My work as an educator, I'm surrounded every day by little humans between the ages <laughs> of five and 13 who are speaking German all day long, right? And just engaged in this kind of grand experiment of immersion education. It's not even an experiment, an experiment anymore, right? It's There's so much yeah. evidence behind its um, you know, how effective it is and, and how uh, remarkable little people are as language learners. And, um, uh, you know, I've been working with young adults my whole career, and they're also remarkable language learners, but their brains are developed in a different way than these little kids are. And so um, it just felt like a really um, opportune time to make, um, you know, take on an adventure, a professional adventure. Well, on that note, uh, I do know two sets of parents who have their kids at TCGIS, and uh, they are beyond proud of actually being there. And it's uh, it speaks a lot to the educational value, to how programs are being put on, to how the school is actually being run. And uh, this is something that we commonly don't hear anymore, that parents are truly proud of where their kids attend school at. So kudos uh, to you and your team for actually doing that. So the question then for me, of course, becomes what is actually the mission of the, T of the TCGIS for those who are 
not yet quite initiated or familiar with uh, with the school in and of itself that can lead to that type of, of pride and happiness and identification? Well, first of all, thank you for sharing that with me. Um, you know, I'm the parent of 600 children, and so that, <laughs> that makes me very happy to hear that, um, that our community feels like that. Um, our mission is innovative education of the whole child through German immersion. So there are three components there, innovative education. We innovate in a variety of ways across the curriculum. Um, of the whole child, we focus not just on academics, but on the social emotional well being of children. And then, of course, our core mission is German immersion. And that's that is different in many fundamental ways for what I from what I have spent my career doing. I've spent my career teaching the language, right? The German language, certainly content in the German language. But what our kids are doing here is they're doing everything that every other school child in Minnesota is doing but they're doing it in German, right? So they're immersed from 815 to 315 in German, learning science, learning music, learning drama, learning math, right? All of these things, but they're doing it in German. And there's so much evidence um, that immersion education is effective, that uh, kids are able to you know, achieve the Minnesota standards. They're able to pass the MCAs. They're able to do all of those things, um, learning their subjects in a foreign language. Do you, so that's see, what we do, here. do you see an increase in students, uh, in student numbers as enrollment, or do you see a decrease? Because when I look at it from the academic perspective in terms of universities, language programs are being reduced, cut altogether, entire language, foreign language departments are being shut down. What does it look like on your side? So we have, uh, we're, we're building up to our full capacity, which is, uh, we're, we're right at about 600 now. We have capacity in the school for between 630 and 645, something like that. So over the next few years, our plan is to build up to full capacity. We don't ever intend to be, you know, a gigantic school. Um, we will be, you know, close to the size that we are now. We have a pretty robust waiting list every year for kindergarten and wow. first grade. Um, I just uh, led a tour a couple weeks ago. We had 35 or 40 people on that tour and it was kind of charming to see the parents jockeying in some ways for favor and for, you know, tell, you know, tell me what, you know, what do we need to do and when are we gonna find out? So there's a lot of, a lot of interest and a lot of competition, I guess you could say initially for our kindergarten and first grade slots. We do accept kids at all grade levels. Just yesterday, we had a brand new second grader and a brand new fourth grader join us who speak no German. So we are a public school. We're a charter school, but we are a public school. So we are welcome and opening to all kids, um, regardless of previous language ability. And we have um, support German available for kids who enter at any grade, uh, even if they haven't had German before. I don't know if you're studying this in terms of uh, statistics, if you will, but I am wondering in a country that is very proud of uh, who we are as Americans, we frequently find sort of an objection to multiculturalism, to other cultures, to other languages. How do you explain that draw, that you're almost at capacity already, that your plans are probably quite uh, realistically to build up to capacity, where is where is the change here? Do you see a particular segment of, of uh, parents who want to have their kids uh, multilingualistically uh, educated, if you will, 
or what is that like? Where is where is this, the thing that we are not seeing otherwise? It's a wonderful question. Um, the school was founded 16 years ago by uh, families who had, um, I guess, what you might say, German heritage connections, and that was the the main draw of the kind of initial few years of the school. Over the years, the the communities that we draw from, we they include families with German heritage, but we also have families with a variety uh, of cultural backgrounds. So we have a really multicultural student body and family community. Um, there's also, as you probably know, a pretty robust culture of immersion schools in the greater Twin Cities areas. Mm -hmm. So we have families that are aware of the research on immersion education, want their kids to be in an immersion school, and in fact, apply to more than one school. Right, so we you have parents who will apply to get their kids into the Spanish immersion school or the Korean immersion school and the German immersion school, and they don't necessarily care which language it is. They just want their kid to have the immersion environment. So we have some of those families who just really believe in the multicultural aspect and the multilingual, um, the benefits of multilingualism. And then we have a third group of parents who are just aware that TCGIS is a really strong school academically that our MCA, our, our state test scores are strong um, and uh, they get the benefit, if you will, of, of German immersion um, in addition to that. So we kind of have those three strands of families that come to us, either German connection, um, immersion connection, and then just um, strong academics. Um, so all of those things draw families uh, to us and that makes us a really diverse school, right? So not all of yeah. our families come to us for the same reasons. I'm borderline confused here uh, from the perspective uh, as, as a fellow professor, if you will, uh, still teaching at Hamlin, where we see a dwindling number of enrollments in basically all the language programs. Yet your side of uh, the coin, so to speak, very much front-loading uh, the language education principles before we actually get them in higher ed, uh, what, where do we see, why do we see those differences? Why do you almost uh, knock on the door of full capacity and we can't really sustain perhaps another couple of years of having a language department? Where is the difference? Yeah, where's the drop-off is what yeah, you're asking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? I'm not sure because um, St. Paul uh, Public School Central High School has a really strong, we, we have a feeder program directly from TCGIS into St. Paul. Central High School, mm -hmm. they have a special immersion track there. Um, so I'm not sure um, where the drop-off is. Um, there's been over the course of more than a decade, right, um, a, a drop-off um, in support for German in higher education, for sure, yeah. across the board, right? Um, in Washington State, there were um, we were losing a high school German program per year, one or more per year across the state um, over the last decade or so. So that's a direct feeder into university programs. I don't know what that looks like in Minnesota. My sense is that Minnesota high school German is still stronger. Um, we're only K to eight, right? Um, so I don't know what's happening in high schools across the state, but that definitely has, a, has an impact because if you don't have kids in high school, learning languages, um, you know, they get to a college and if they've already had a couple of years of a language, they're going to be more um, interested in maybe minoring or majoring in a language because they already can start beyond the 101 level. 
And if they don't have that, and I mean, what we've gotten ourselves into across the country is that German is now a less commonly taught language, right? Like some others were. And so you have students entering college with no German background from high school. So we're trying to buck that trend here with the, you know, the German immersion school and our work with um, Central High School, but um, we can't do it all the way across the state. Well, clearly you're very successful at it, and I'm I'm much like everybody else, uh, really puzzled as to where where does this drop off occur and why does it occur? And I think there's very little data and very little support, if if you will, in terms of fact finding and providing answers. But the mm -hmm. fact still remains that we see obviously an a, an acceptance and uptake on your side, if you will, with with children. But as soon as those yeah. children become young adults and uh, are out on, so to speak, their own in terms of uh, collegiate experiences and immersion, we suddenly have mm -hmm. issues. And I'm I'm wondering if we can actually learn more from you than you could ever learn from us in that sense. <laughs> Um, I don't know. I'm, I might be too new to tell you what you can learn from us here, but um, yeah, um, our kids definitely leave us um, motivated and uh, more or less fluent, right? Um, so it's pretty, pretty remarkable. Not all of them continue their German. I'll say that um, in, in high school. Um, many of them do. I'm not sure we have statistics on that. Now that's the question for me um, to be able to track our own kids. That would be longitudinally very interesting to find out uh, yeah. how long is language being kept in their life and under which circumstances and whether it actually really contributes to enriching their lives going forward. Um, yeah, I did hear um, early in my time here, I heard from a colleague at St. Olaf's College who said that they just they have just received their first TCGIS graduates at St. Olaf's, right, who finished high school and are now um, continuing German at the college level there. So that's the only direct contact I've had, but I know some are certainly continuing. My background is in communications. And mm -hmm. one of the things that I have always been, for one, very interested in, for another, something I have taught, is uh, the good old linguistic determinism idea that mm -hmm. language influences culture, culture influences language. What is the value when you think about German language and German culture of actually bringing this here to the US? So let's talk about our kindergartners. They come in, some of them might have German speaking parents, but the vast majority of our kindergartners walk into kindergartner, kindergarten on day one, not knowing any German. So they're being introduced to school at the same time they're being introduced to the German language, or maybe it's the other way around. So there's a third language that we introduce to them, and that is the language of routine, right? So they learn their daily routines in German so they can understand what's happening because they see it happening, right? So they learn comfort um, in knowing their numbers. They hear things, um, they associate things with places in the room, um, and they develop a sense of this is how we do things in German and they don't even necessarily know that they're doing it in German, they're just doing it. So um, early on, they develop a sense of routine and comfort, right? Um, our first kindergarten and first graders don't typically speak a lot of German. Mm -hmm. They hear German, they understand German, they can understand everything their teachers tell them, they do their assignments in German, they don't necessarily speak. I had a little um, first grader, I read, uh, did story time in a first grade class recently and uh, a little girl saw me the next day and she said 
hey, she said this to me in English. She said, you read us a story in class. Can you come back and read us a story in English this time? Mm -hmm. And I said, well, no, why would I do that? I said this to her in German. I said, this is a German school. I'll, you know, I read stories in German. And she said, but I don't have my German ears yet. And I wish I'd had the presence of mind to say to her, you do have your German ears. You've had your German ears for two years. You just don't have your German mouth yet, right? So they develop their, just like a, a baby in their native language, right? Doesn't say much until they're two. Our kids listen mostly for a couple of years. So there's um, kind of a, a, a delay that instills some humility and extra listening powers in our kids as they're just absorbing throughout the day. Um, and then another important aspect of the kind of the cultural thing that I think you were getting at, um, a percentage of our teachers, I don't have the percentage off the top of my head, are from Germany, Austria, and yeah. Switzerland, right? So our building is by its very nature um, a multicultural space. And so our um, kids are being introduced um, to people from other cultures, to different accents um, within German. Um, we have lots of kids in our school whose, whose families are German mm -hmm. and have, and we have kids whose families are Somali and Ethiopian and, um, you know, other cultures as well. So it's a, it's a broadly multicultural space. Um, it's important to note that what's different about what kids do in an immersion school in the U.S. versus, say, refugee children in Germany who are learning German, those kids walk out the door in Germany hear German TV when they go home, go shopping with their parents and hear German. Our kids hear German only from 8.15 right. to 3.15 and they walk out the door and then it's English. And so we have them for this really concentrated amount of time. And yet between the ages of kindergarten and eighth grade, they somehow managed to develop remarkable fluency. Um, and so, you know, it's, um, it's a pretty um, amazing thing to behold and to see how quickly they develop it and at what ages their confidence grows I'd say beginning in second grade they're pretty um, willing to speak I think it's funny that you say that about the kindergartners and the first graders because I, I have a fond memory of my high school German program taking a trip to TCJIS uh, I went to Hudson High School oh, and wow. we read with the kindergartners for an hour or so and I remember leaving that day and everyone was like wow these kindergartners speak better German than we do. <laughs> like they sound better. Like obviously, like they weren't speaking German the whole time, like you said. But when they did, it was really great. And so I think that also I think that speaks to the level of I don't know or the the quality of education that these students are getting, and at such a pivotal point in time for them. Yeah, it's just what we do, right? So it's normalized, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Hearing German is normalized. There, it's it's worth noting that there is resistance sometimes among kindergartners. Our our kindergarten parents will sometimes report that their kids will say things like, you know, in the first few weeks, I hate German, right? And it's just because it's new and hard, and that that does not continue. That happens in the you know in the first few weeks, and it's if you think about what we're asking of kindergartners. Hi, we're going to drop you into school for the first time. You're with yeah. a peer cohort for the first time. And also, you have no idea what people are saying to you, right, for six hours a day. Um, and so this is why routine, the language of routine is so critical, right, so that there's, there's a comfort that just surrounds them. So they're swimming in this, this sea of familiarity, 
even if the words around them are not familiar. And so pretty soon there will be, you know, Germans use the word Flosken, like there's the little fins of German that are swimming around them, right? Um, and they might not know, they might not be able to explain the grammar, they don't know exactly what the word means, but they know that when my teacher says, setzt euch hin, that means put your little booty on the, you know, on the, the carpet and it means, you know, we're about to have story time or something. Now, I, I find this very interesting because I was, I'm, I'm still stuck on what you said earlier with the idea of you just don't have your German mouth yet. It is the, the absence of something that we are otherwise really good at in the U.S. is to accommodate. She didn't accommodate her English request to you by responding back in German. I find this incredibly interesting. And also going back to, to your uh, master's work in language acquisition, is this something that you would confine to the younger demographic, uh, the K through eight, or is it something that just drags all the way through and we should just teach predominantly in German no matter where we are in life? So um, in our school, our teachers are masterful at responding to student output in English in a variety of age-appropriate ways. So you can imagine that um, even though this is a German school, mm -hmm. We sometimes have seventh or eighth graders for whom on any given day speaking German is not cool <laughs> for whatever reason, right? right? You don't feel like it. Um, your peers are talking in English. You don't quite know how to say whatever thing it is. So our teachers, I've been in a lot of different classrooms already. Um, teachers will either um, in a playful way ask if a student says something in English, our classrooms are German classrooms, right? We speak German in our classrooms with a few exceptions, right? We have Spanish as an elective, of course, Spanish is spoken there. Beginning in fifth grade, math is taught in English. Um, and that's for a really particular reason. Our students have to take the, take the state uh, math assessments and the, all of the instructions are in English. So we do that. But for the, for, with those few exceptions, and of course, English is taught in English um, uh, at a certain point. Um, but other than that, all of our classes are in German. And so if a student speaks in English, our teachers will do a variety of things. They might sort of playfully say, Vibete? what was that? As if they don't <laughs> you know, understand English or there might, they might just come right out and say, um, kannst du das nochmal auf Deutsch sagen? Can you repeat that in German, right? Or, ach, das habe ich nicht verstanden, right? So they're very playful about it just to get the students just to reiterate, to reinforce at any given moment, this is a German environment. German is spoken here um, and you can do it. Right. And the kids absolutely can. Um, and they rise to the occasion. So it's a confidence builder. Say again. It's a confidence builder. Absolutely. Yeah. And the kids can do it. Right. Um, if, a, if a child can't, I mean, and I've been in some classrooms where kids weave some pretty complex sentences together that are German and English, like they won't know a word, a word, but they'll put the whole sentence together in German and then they'll just drop an English word in the middle. I'm, I'm really impressed by that, right? So that's a kid who's just like, I'm not gonna not speak German, but there's just a word I don't know, or maybe they'll ask, or they do what we call circumlocution, right? They'll talk around something and they'll say, or they'll use gestures, right? Um, so they're, they're quite creative um, actually to get their, their words out. And our classrooms are richly visual. So our teachers are really good at um, having the, the classroom environment, um, colorful and with lots of cues around so students can point to things if they don't know things. So all of that really helps students' uh, production while they're ramping up. We, we actually call it Denglish. 
Yeah. That's the word that, that I've heard. Here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we have that too. Yeah. So a uh, question regarding particularly mixing and matching. I have noticed that also uh, with uh, literature and uh, publications, for instance, where suddenly English terminology is being Germanized. Uh, for instance, the word to chat, uh, so to talk, to have a... Uh, lighthearted conversation. Conversation. We now have chatting. It's like, where in the world does this come from? So, with four thousand plus words, which are mostly technology uh, infused, if you will, suddenly being embedded in the German language, where do you see this going? <laughs> well, we have that too, and our teachers are. You know, we have we have tech classes. We have other classes. Our teachers are really good at knowing. You know, if there's an an anglicized German word that is normal, they'll teach that, right? And it's an opportunity also to, um, those things highlight German grammar in an interesting way. So Chetten, right? That suddenly you can say, oh, we just, that that's actually not a German word, but look, we still have the same endings. Ich chette, du chettest, wir chetten, right? Um, right, so it's an opportunity um, to highlight um, a way to think about um, how German is constructed when those things happen. Um, in the tech sector in particular, um, right, tech vocabulary is where we see it the most. And sometimes German themselves, even though there might be a German word, like Festplatte, right, is the German word for hard drive. Hard drive, Germans say that probably just as often. Many years ago, I was at a trade show. I was interpreting for some British businessmen at a at a trade show with some East, East German, actually, um, uh, business people. And I was translating and at one point, the, the Brits held their hand up and said, you don't need to translate because all their tech words are in English. Right. We're under, you know, we can understand it. Yeah. So um, that exists here too, right? In certain elements, but um, our teachers don't, um, I guess, succumb to it unless it's um, kind of a natural part of, of, of German, right? You and your team are truly responsible of building little global citizens. Yeah. Does it, uh, when, when you compare to your own children and perhaps uh, to all the students that you've had at various universities, do you see a different worldview developing in younger children due to multiple languages? Uh, do you see greater aspirations, more, more understanding? How does that, how do you see that? No question, right? So I don't know all of the university students I've had over the years. I don't know the backgrounds that all of them had. I don't think very many of them came from immersion schools. Mm -hmm. um, I just can speak to what our kids are doing yeah. here. So they're reading, you know, they walk every child in every class has weekly library time. And we have maybe the Twin Cities most charming library. Um, it's a beautiful welcoming space, just filled to the brim with uh, German books. Um, we have a small English section there, and each of the classrooms also has a small English section. Um, but it's all of these beautiful German books. Um, kids get to pick out books. They have story time um, every week. And so these are books you're not going to find in a normal German school, right? Um, and they speak to a vari wide variety of experiences in Germany. Germany itself, the German-speaking world, Austria, Switzerland, are multicultural, multilingual cultures themselves. Right. So just to speak of Germany, since 2015, there are two million more Syrians in Germany than there were prior to 2015. It's a different cultural landscape there. Right. Um, so our kids in the upper grades, for example, are learning about 
um, Syrians and other refugees um, in Germany and German speaking Europe and how that has changed what it means to be German, what it means to live in Germany. Um, I don't think you're going to get that in a, in a normal, you know, in another sort of um, school. Right. So they're learning not just about multiculturalism generally, but what multiculturalism looks like in other cultures. I find it interesting that you mentioned the well-developed library and stories and reading in German. Uh, this is sort of a shameless plug from my end. Uh, we did, uh, until we are now starting to split it out, have a section within the podcast uh, that was called Storycast, or still is called Storycast, where we read short stories in German for our audience. Uh, so they can download the PDFs and read along and read out loud, catch some of the pronunciation and uh, get a little more immersion, if you will, due to yeah. being in, in, ex exposed on their own terms when they want to hit play as opposed to having to attend to a classroom or a Zoom session. But of course, ours was a little more geared towards uh, adult learning, but the stories mm -hmm. in and of themselves, and that's, I don't think anybody actually caught that, the stories were built at the University of Bremen for the age segment of anywhere 8 through 15, Oh, interesting. And it seemed to work just as fine for adults. So that was sure. uh, just a quick little shameless plug for StoryCast when it comes back. Are you still, are you going to do that again? Yes, we've had uh, several episodes. Uh, I don't remember how many I've read, maybe 10 or 15 episodes. Uh, it had quite some positive feedback and that in and of itself uh, preempted us to say, okay, listen, uh, let's just move this into its own channel and we'll bring it back. Our main challenge is to find stories that are not copyrighted. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's a challenge. Well, our kids, um, they get, I just want to mention that our, our kids, they check out books. So they read silently in German, but they also have opportunities throughout the week to be read to by their teachers or the librarian. Um, and we sometimes have guests who come in to read and then they read to each other. That's, that's my favorite thing awesome. to hear. They have, they have story time throughout the week where they pick a book and then take turns timed reading and um, reading out loud to one another, practicing their pronunciation. And um, it's, it's pretty, pretty amazing to, to behold. So as TCGIS keeps moving forward and making progress, um, I, it's my understanding that part of that is the strategic planning for 2025 and its focus on innovative teaching and learning, school culture and engagement, diversity and belonging, and financial stability. Can you talk about that and what that means and what the action plan is for that strategic plan? Yeah, so um, you've done your research. <laughs> yes, that is yeah. what I do here. <laughs> yeah, we, we have a really robust strategic plan. It's one of the things that drew me to the school um, was to know that I was entering um, a stable, thoughtful school community um, that was in a, a good uh, place in all of those areas and, and thinking, thinking ahead. So um, I can just uh, speak, I'll speak to a couple of those in terms of financial stability, which is maybe the least um, interesting for a lot of people of those, um, but it's absolutely the core of what we do. So charter schools have unique challenges, financial challenges. Um, the, you know, we receive per child funding from the state like other schools do, but unlike other schools, we don't receive um, property tax uh, revenue. Oh. And so, yeah, um, because so we draw from um, the, the whole greater Twin Cities uh, metro area. And so we don't get property taxes from the area where our school is located. So we have we do a lot of fundraising. Mm -hmm. um, and so maintaining our enrollment is critical. 
Um, we watch our enrollment numbers very, very carefully, and um, that's why we're we're working towards um, a critical enrollment uh, capacity. And once we've reached that, um, our fundraising will continue to be a really important part. We do a lot of fundraising every year um, in a way that a regular public school wouldn't have to do um, just to cover some basic um, expenses, including, for example, our interns. We have interns that come almost every year. Last year, because of the pandemic, we didn't get them. This year, we have 11 interns arriving in January, and that's paid for exclusively from fundraising. Um, and they um, are college students um, who come um, as uh, support in our classrooms, and they're an amazing part of our school culture. Um, so that's just a little bit about uh, finances. Um, uh, we're in a really good place uh, financially, and it uh, feels really good to be able to say that. Um, diversity, uh, equity, and belonging is another, and inclusivity, that's a really important part of what we do. Um, we are, we, we don't, our, the, diver the uh, demographics of our school does not yet, and I'll say that with some intention, does not yet reflect the diversity of the greater Twin Cities area. Mm -hmm. um, another way to say that would be that we're wider than um, the greater Twin Cities area, right? Um, that's um, the, the truth of it. Um, um, that's something that um, during the course of my tenure, I really hope to change um, in a couple of ways. I hope that we can welcome more students of color here, that this school will be a welcoming community to them. And um, also have some intentional efforts right now underway to recruit more teachers of color. You can imagine that we have um, some inherent challenges, right, in that. Um, we, we have to have teachers who speak German to begin with, and we're trying to recruit teachers from the greater Twin Cities area. When we're also trying to recruit um, teachers of color who speak German and live in the greater Twin Cities area, that's challenging, right? So we have a couple initiatives in place. One is to um, the state of Minnesota has just um, announced a new program called Come Teach in Minnesota um, that allowed us, allows us to um, offer extra support to teachers of color who come to Minnesota from other places. So we're crossing our fingers and hoping that we might be able to attract some teachers um, that will be willing to come who speak German, live in other places and might be willing to come up to the Twin Cities and live here. It's important that um, students of color, we know this, there's so much, um, so many studies on this that show that students of color to feel um, at home need to see themselves reflected yeah. in in their teachers right and so um, that is an important part of um, of our work um, regarding teachers and recruiting teachers uh, to come to TCGIS uh, correct me if I'm if I'm wrong on this but a teaching license is required and uh, could there be a barrier to entry particularly as we see uh, dwindling enrollment numbers in university German programs and therefore no distinct progress towards uh, teaching German with a teaching license. Is this something that you see on your side as well, that this is uh, one of the sticking points uh, to recruit teachers? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's tricky, right? Um, the more, uh, the fewer German programs we have um, in the state um, at the university level, um, just inherently the fewer German speakers we're going to have who could potentially teach. You don't have to have a German education degree that doesn't have to be your degree to um, teach for us to get a tier one license you just need to have um, a, a college degree and you can be um, licensed you know licensed and if you speak German then that's great and we have teachers from a variety of backgrounds um, who come to teach for us but yeah that is that is an inherent challenge so what happens at universities matters to us um, I want to say indirectly but it's actually pretty directly right because 
um, our our teacher pool comes um, our our U.S. based teacher pool comes ex almost exclusively from Minnesota, a little bit from Wisconsin. We don't have teachers who come from a lot mm -hmm. of other places, um, and so um, keeping that pipeline open is is important. It's important for our teaching staff. We do have teachers from Germany who come on a regular basis. Um, yeah. Just wanted to ask it if you can actually uh, recruit across the ocean, so to speak, and come on over for a year or two or whatever the uh, yep. the legal parameters are there and have a continuous exchange, which I believe could then also be interesting for students here to say, okay, I've had German teaching experience here. I can now take this to Germany down the road. Um, yeah, so that's a great question about whether teachers who teach for us could then go teach in Germany. I'm not sure about that, but we do have... Um, uh, so we are what's called a ZFA Schule. ZFA stands for Zentralstelle für das Ausland Schulwesen. Um, it's an arm of the German Foreign Office. And so we are a ZFA certified school. And that um, gives us a number of perks, I guess, if you will. We get support from the German Federal uh, Foreign Office for um, books. Um, for uh, teaching supplies of various kinds. And we can also get um, Lehrkräfte, we can get teachers from Germany um, who are ZFA trained and certified. And so we have a new teacher for, we have several of them already in the school. We have a brand new one coming in January. Um, and so that's a regular part of being a ZFA Schule that allows us contact to those, um, you know, to that stream of teachers. And then we um, work with the University of uh, Frankfurt um, to get our interns. Uh, and those, many of our interns actually don't know how many, um, but a number of our interns go back to Germany, finish their degree, and then return to TCJS as teachers once they have their, um, their degrees finished in Germany. So we have um, several over the years who have done um, that. And so that's, that's a lovely flow um, that we have. We also are what's called um, a partner schule. Um, I'm gonna. I'm just blanking on the acronym right now. But um, there is a worldwide Verband of of German language schools mm -hmm. im Ausland, um, outside of German speaking Europe. And those schools, there's there's uh, quite an interesting number of them all around the world. And so there's a PASH website, a Partnerschulen website, and so. A teacher in Germany who's interested in teaching German im Ausland can go to this PASH website, the Partnerschulen website, and they can see, oh, I'd really like to go teach in the U.S. And they can, so our, our school website is there. And we have teachers reach out to us all the time, certainly more teachers than we can accommodate. Hey, here's my credentials. I'd really like to come teach. And so we have a database of teachers wow. who from wow. Germany and Austria and Switzerland who want to come teach um, with us. And so that's really exciting too. So if we actually run short of teachers here in the U.S., you do have a quote-unquote fallback repository of uh, capable uh, Lehrkräfte we, teachers. We, we do. It's not as simple, of course, to hire somebody from Germany. There are visa um, considerations, and it always takes longer to bring a German teacher here than it does to just hire someone who's already living here. Um, but yeah, we do have um, a pretty constant stream of teachers who are interested in coming um, and having at least a couple of years experience. And many of them have taught German elsewhere in India or 
you know, other places around the world. We have the teacher that's coming now. I'm trying to remember where she has taught, but she's taught in some pretty interesting places um, already. So that's another way, you know, you had asked earlier about the sort of cross-cultural nature mm -hmm. and global citizenry of our kids. You know, they're exposed to teachers who've taught in other places and bring those experiences with them as well. It sounds like you have your hands full with your strategic plan for 2025. Um, but beyond 2025, what are your goals for TCJS? What do you hope that landscape, that space looks like? So in terms of the space, you might know that the school um, underwent a pretty significant um, uh, remodel. Um, we have a beautiful new space. Um, Many in the community have not had a chance to see it yet because it was completed right when COVID shut everything down. Um, we hope that things will be open again soon and people can um, see the school. We have this amazing new gym, um, just beautiful spaces throughout the school, a really beautiful atrium. Um, one of the things we're hoping to do is to, um, to uh, just keep keep working on the um, blank spaces, I guess we'll call them within school, so that the school is not just an um, an orally immersive environment where you hear German all day long, but where you see German all day long. So in our new space, we have lots of blank walls still, and we have a whole committee that's working on um, on that, right, and how that might be, um, how those spaces might be filled. And I can give you one little little um, sneak peek on some beautiful a beautiful thing that's happening. So um, our school, um, the remodel of the school was built on the site of a church and the pipes from the organ of that church are going to become an installation, an art installation um, in our school. Um, um, so an amazing parent in our community figured out what the sound waves of the word zusammen, the German word zusammen together, um, what what the sound waves are and took the pipes from the organ that represent those sounds um, and is making an art installation with the pipes um, so that you'll see the visual of these pipes. Um, and if you could hear them, it would it would be the word Suzaman. And so we're trying to figure out if we can connect that. So that's just one example. That'll be up in our atrium area. And we have a, a group of um, parents working on and teachers working on a land acknowledgement, because of course, like every other school um, and every other place in North America, we sit on stolen ground and we want to honor um, the peoples uh, who are the traditional caretakers of this land. And so we have people who are working on a way to honor within our school um, that um, those communities. Um, so those are some of the things that we really hope will change over the next couple of years and beyond um, to make this a really richly um, immersive, uh, vis visually immersive school as well as um, what you hear with the language um, all around you all day long. And we hope we'll be able to incorporate and invite more members of the community into the school um, once things calm down. And I will say that that's been a pretty significant feature when I say things calm down, of course, I'm referring to COVID. Yeah. Um, somebody asked me recently uh, from my from my higher ed um, background, so what's it like being a, a school leader? And I said, I don't know. I just know what it's like to be a crisis manager, <laughs> right? Because there's just so much going on with COVID right now. Um, and I have to say that our, our kids are just so amazingly compliant and patient running around. I mean, try to imagine learning German with a mask on and with a teacher who has a mask on, right? So much of learning is seeing the shape 
of lips, right? And faces, right? And our kids can't see that. And they're doing it anyway. They're keeping their masks on all day long. They're getting vaccinated. We have a weekly testing clinic in site, you know, on site. Um, so a lot of what we're doing is, is connected to everything that everyone else is having uh, to deal with, but our kids have sort of unique challenges because they're trying to learn language at the same, at the same time. Um, so I look forward to a day when um, COVID doesn't rule our days and we can just focus a little more on um, some of the more outward facing things. I was hired to be the outward facing yeah part of our school, right? I haven't been able to do a lot of that. So I really look forward to connecting more with the greater higher ed community. Mm -hmm. There's wonderful, um, you know, colleagues here in German studies and Holocaust and genocide studies with the Jewish uh, Community Resource Council um, and, you know, other community organizations with the NAACP. Um, I have a list of people that I want to, you know, connect with and just haven't been able to because of COVID. So for the beyond piece that you mentioned, that um, remains something really important. TCGIS needs to connect, right, um, uh, to those uh, to be a, a, a more uh, intentional part of the community that we are in the middle of. You know, it's 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 amazing to realize and recognize just how many moving elements there are on the back on the back sides of of the story of running such an operation. That I do believe that many parents and uh, those who do not have their kids at TCGIS actually don't really quite recognize because we don't usually get a look behind the scenes. So thank you for sharing this. But with that, two more questions, of course, have come to mind. In your uh, short but still very significant tenure at TCGIS, what would you consider to having been the biggest challenge so far and what has been the biggest success? Uh, the first one is a really easy question, and that is um, COVID, right? Trying to not let COVID um, take over our core mission, which is educating little people, right? Um, and and it can overwhelm, it can overwhelm us, right? Um, just as an example, and we do our weekly testing on Tuesdays, we get our results on Wednesdays. The Wednesday before Thanksgiving, we had 24 positive results, almost 9% of our kids tested positive um, the the night before Thanksgiving. And so we spent that night doing a crisis communication out to families, letting them know, and then spent the Thanksgiving break with our testing provider trying to figure everything else out. We ended up having to cancel school on Monday because we couldn't communicate with Minnesota Department of Health until Monday. Um, Those sorts of things can loom just kind of like this big monster that kind of comes at you. And my team and I try really hard to remember that's there. It's absolutely critical for us to be connected to our health partners, to know what we need to know. Um, I'm so deeply impressed with um, the, the health team, our incident response team that know what they need to know. I mean, schools have been asked to become medical clinics essentially, yeah. right? And so there's a lot of that, but, but um, what has become important to me, and I guess um, is just making sure that I get into the classrooms as often as possible to remember that in spite of everything, in spite of the really significant social emotional needs that kids are having after not being with their peer cohorts, cohorts for two years, there is so much learning going on in these classrooms. Just this week, right? We had Hanukkah 
um, lesson in two classes, um, two parents came in, one over Zoom, one in person, and taught a little mini Hanukkah lesson to our kindergarten kids. Wonderful cultural um, expansion for mm -hmm. these little people. Yeah. Um, a day later, I was in a drama classroom, an eighth grade drama classroom, watching um, eighth graders present um, dramatizations of Kafka short stories in German. Um, and they were doing it in this way, it's called Abtretour, and Tretour means a, a trussle, um, and these are where, um, it's basically just a, a very small, uh, one, one meter by two meter space, and so you have an ensemble cast in this little space, having to use their bodies and their relationship to one another to convey a short story. It was totally mesmerizing. Um, and so we have this kind of creativity and, and linguistic you know, output that is happening um, throughout our days in the middle of a pandemic. And so I'm proud of my staff. I'm proud of our kids um, who are just doing really, really remarkable work all day long. And I, I regret so much that parents can't yet be in the classroom again because um, you know, normally we have parent partners. We, we still do. We call them Elternkontakte, room parents, basically. Um, under normal circumstances, they would be in and out of our classrooms on a regular basis, and, yeah. and they, would, they would be our own ambassadors right out to the broader community. I, I look forward so much to the day um, when they can come back. Which is quite interesting that your greater challenge has also become the opportunity for greater success. And I'm just uh, in awe, to be honest, when anyone uses Kafka and then has a, 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 a response to that with eighth graders, that's that's completely out of the park because Kafka is, for those who've <laughs> read it, they probably get it for those who have not read it. If you have some time on your hands, and by that I mean a lot of time on your hands, you want to read good old Franz Kafka. Uh, right? have, have fun. Uh, please don't send any hate mail my way. <laughs> that is right. Yeah, these kids didn't just read it. So they read the stories. Then they performed them, right? And they had, and then learned a new drama form in the meantime. So there were just so many layers to that. Um, that is I was such high level. Amazing. We have an amazing, we have amazing drama teachers. Um, uh, just we have amazing teachers in, in all of our classes. And so it is the, the thing that grounds me the most is getting into our classrooms and just seeing what's happening. Because if I'm just in an incident response team meeting or on a crisis call with Minnesota Department of Health, it can feel like all we're doing is managing COVID. And getting into the classroom re reminds me that the great engine of our school is chugging along in spite of all of this, right? There are significant challenges. I don't want to downplay that. Some of our kids are really struggling because they haven't been in school for two years. They don't remember what it's like to be in a group. Um, our little tiniest ones, especially, who didn't get a chance to go to preschool are now having to learn to be in school and also trying to you know, learn content for the first time. So we have had some real challenges, um, but there's so much learning that's happening. Um, and, and the fact that it's happening in a second language for the majority of our kids. And some of our kids are, you know, trilingual, right? Speak other languages at right. home and then are learning German in the classroom. So it's so pretty amazing. You do have a wait list. Uh, it's probably a couple of meters deep. And uh, with with our conversation, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, one or the other parent suddenly has the very supportive idea of, I need to get my kids to TCGIS. How would they go about this? So um, 
there is an application link on our website and uh, the application period is open. I should have looked this up, I think until February. Um, we do a pretty good job of working our way through the wait list, it's worth noting. So even if you don't get in in September, um, we work our way through the wait list through the calendar year. And so if a parent is willing to be patient, um, they might be contacted in November or even sure. January right, that a slot has opened up. Once a child is in, um, Minnesota State Charter School Law says that um, siblings are automatically admitted. Um, so that's worth noting. Um, uh, children of staff are also, according to Minnesota State Law, um, Charter School Law, um, are also um, automatic admits, which is part okay. of the reason that our uh, wait list is longer because of siblings and, and staff. Um, but I, we really encourage parents to apply, even if they feel, you know, their heart sinks when they hear what the wait list is. And I don't know what the wait list is at the moment, um, but we, we tend to work our way through that wait list um, within a few months. And so if parents are willing to be patient and maybe transfer a child a couple months in, we will welcome you um, at any point. And also it's worth trying again, even in first grade, the higher up we go, the, the smaller the wait list gets by second grade. I'm not sure we even have a wait list. Um, and so if parents are willing to be patient, um, we're here, we are a public school. Um, we, are, we are here for anyone who, who is welcome. And again, we do have support, German language support for the students who are intrepid enough to be, um, be open to learning German. You know, um, They can come and learn German even if they don't know German. It's a challenge for those students, but we, we do it. So there is no selection criteria other than being on the list and you go through it numerically or are there prerequisites that have to be met to nope. one degree or another? Nope, no prerequisites. Nope, we are a public school and the only reason awesome. we have to have a lottery system is because we have too many, right? Good, good, good. Yep. All right, well, in respecting your time, we've been running for almost an hour. I definitely want to thank you for coming on today and for everything you're doing. I think this uh, needs to be publicized a lot more and uh, the more language education, the more cultural awareness we can get out. So I think the better it is, the better human beings we're building. So thank you very much for everything you're doing. Uh, my pleasure. And I just want to make sure everyone knows that it takes a village. Um, I have an amazing staff here, um, wonderful teachers here, and I just feel incredibly lucky um to be um to be part of it so thank you thanks thank for your you time for your interest. yeah of course take care